Hello, welcome to the West Side Podcast. This is where we'll post some of our audio from our sermons on Sunday, and we're so glad that you're here. West Side's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus step by step. We hope you enjoy, and thanks for tuning in. Last weekend, Ephesians. Um, Ephesians 6 on Palm Sunday, uh, the armor of God, there's a battle going on, and we're reminded of that here on Palm Sunday, where uh, God's people got all excited about, um, about Jesus being king. Jesus, you, yours is the victory. You are king over all. But then how did that week go? I think it's important for us to remember on Palm Sunday that Jesus is king and that Jesus is a big disappointment to the things that we have in mind for him. The things that we that we imagine him doing for us. Jesus, come be king, win victory. And Jesus does. He comes and wins victory over death, but not by killing, but by dying. He doesn't come to win a military battle. He comes to give up his life. Jesus, king, always keeping us off balance. Always making us a little bit uncomfy with who he is. We get to the end of this letter today, and Paul says to the Ephesians, just like pray for me as I preach this stuff, because it's hard. And uh, the moment that we start to smooth over the gospel and make it uncomfy, we've, we've lost the force of who, of who Jesus is. And this reminder on Palm Sunday that we live in a tension of who um, Jesus is and who we don't always expect him to be, uh, I think it's pretty instructive for us as we start to think about what it means to put on the armor of God. Because we have one thing in mind when it comes to armor. Um, I think Jesus might have another. So, um, can we pray? Let's pray as we, as we get going here. Lord, we thank you that you speak through your word. That you are uh, present here in this living and active text that we're going to read today. We believe that it's no accident that we are here together, this particular group of people here this morning, to hear your word, to sit under that together. Um, so may you be here uh, sharpening minds, uh, softening hearts, um, making us uh, uncomfy with the, um, uh, with the way that you are among us and with the things that you require of us and don't require of us. Um, be shaping our imagination today, Jesus. Shape our imagination about what it is to follow you in this particular moment, in this particular place. 
Um, we thank you that you're here. May you guide our time. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Ephesians 6, verse 10 through the end is what we've got through verse 24. I want to start by just reading the first verse, which kind of shows Paul is shifting here. Paul's transitioning. He's, he's landing the plane. Uh, sometimes reading, <laughs> reading papers of college students, um, you get to the last sentence and you wouldn't have known that and, except for the fact that it ends and there's no more. Uh, um, we are done with this paper. Okay, here we go. Paul, a little more trained in rhetoric, uh, lets us know that we are landing the plane here. And he does so uh, quite artfully, I would say. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. In his mighty power. First of all, finally. So here we go. Here comes the end. Finally. So we're transitioning out of that household code section that we just uh, looked at last week. And we're transitioning to a different sort of imagery. Be strong in the Lord and in your mighty power. Oh, his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Paul here is recalling a phrase that he's already used in this letter. Uh, If you're the kind of person who takes notes in your Bible, I would write down uh, chapter 1, verse 19 right here. If you want to take just a moment to look back and be reminded, which we're going to need this reminder time and time again over the course of this passage today, that it is his mighty power. What is his, what is God's mighty power up to? Chapter 119, his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. This is the power we're supposed to be living in. We've talked about that a number of times through the course of Ephesians. That's the, the, that power is true, and now it's what we're meant to go live into. It's not ours. It's not something that we conjure on our own. It's something that we live into. It, it is a reality that we get to participate in. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his mighty power. His oomph. We have so um, reduced Christianity to this like individual, uh, like glorified self-help project sometimes, self-betterment project where we just try to get a little bit better each day and Jesus is kind of helping us out with that, with that project. And, and Paul says, that is not how it goes. We are putting our faith in the God of the universe, in that King Jesus, the one who has brought us from death into life. And it is in that mighty power that you can now go be strong. This is not about you lifting weights a couple more times a week. I should probably lift weights a couple more times a week. It'd be better than the zero times <laughs> that I'm currently doing. Nathan, you, you can help, help me out there. Yeah. This is the strength of God that is guiding this whole passage that we're about to read. It is the strength of God, not ours. God's, not ours. Okay? Verse 11. Put on the full armor of God. Well, it sounds like we're getting ready for a battle. Okay. So that you can stand. 
interesting word, Paul. So that you can take your stand against the people that we don't like. Oh, that's a bummer, right? It'd be nice if it said that. <laughs> you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. There's so many turns in this passage today where it's really important to pay attention to what it does say and what it, where it, what it does not say. It does not say, Paul is not saying, take up the armor of God so that you can fight against the devil and beat him. It doesn't say that. Uh, there is no language at all in the New Testament. The apostles at no point say, Christians, go, go defeat the devil. Why not? Because it's the strength of his mighty power. It is the victory that God has already created that we now go live in. The devil and his wiles, they are coming, but it is not our job to do the defeating. It is our job to stand and stand firm. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul's talking about a spiritual battle that we've referred to a number of times throughout the course of this series. A spiritual battle that is difficult for us modern, western, sophisticated, scientific thinkers to, to get down with sometimes. Uh, but we just have to remember that for most of history, this idea would not have been foreign. And for many people around the world today, even, this idea is not foreign. The idea that there is some sort of spiritual battle going on, like that is a regular idea to most of, of humanity for like all time. Like we are in the minority of folks who have a hard time with this idea. And so when we come to scripture and we realize there's a cultural piece that makes us have a difficult time with the text, what we don't do is say, all right, how can I shift the text and make it make sense for me? What we say is, well, how can I shift my perspective to what what I think God is saying. There is a spiritual battle going on, and there is a way to conduct ourselves within it. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, against the authorities. The same phrase that Paul used earlier in the letter when he said, you as the church, when you go just be yourselves, when you go act out that, that redemption that God has done for you in Christ, when you embody that, you are displaying the wisdom of God to what? To the rulers and authorities, the same phrase. To the spiritual realms. When, when the church is being itself, that is a beacon of the wisdom of God for all. That is the power of God on display. And Paul is saying, don't forget it. Stand firm in it. Stand firm. We're going to get to this word stand. We're going to see the word stand a, a few more times uh, in the coming verses. And I just, just a note here, a couple notes on standing. First of all, standing is not fighting. 
we hear armor and we think, all right, got to prepare for battle so I can, I can fight. I can joust. I, can, I don't know a whole lot about fighting. Paul doesn't use that language. And I think he's intentional here to not use the fighting language because some of us like that fighting language and we want to go get to do something for God. Right? That excites us. And that's okay. That's good. That's good. It's, it's good to want to do for God. But that is, it should maybe be instructive to us that God is not saying here, I need you to fight for me. No. There's a battle coming. There are forces here that are going to try to trip you up. And what I need you to do is to stand strong in the midst of it. Stand strong in the midst of it. Standing is not fighting, but also on the other side, standing is not passive. It's not just a let whatever is going to happen, happen posture. Uh, when I was 13 years old, I got to go on a trip with uh, my church. I grew up in Spokane, and um, every summer we would go with our youth group up to this little church, little community in Salmo, British Columbia. Very tiny little, precious little town, and we would help out um, the local church there with uh, the VBS and some outreach stuff in the community. And there was one afternoon that we had kind of wrapped up our duties for the day, and there was a, there was a nice little spot to go hang out by the river. Uh, and so a group of us went down um, just to just take it easy for a couple hours. And we, it was a pretty, like, solidly flowing river. Think like McKinsey River, but not as cold as the McKinsey River. Um, and we got in our inner tubes. A couple of us got in inner tubes just to kind of, like, ride down. And, and this, you got to remember, this is, like, 13-year-old brain. Uh, like, get in the water that's moving quickly in an inner tube just sounds fun. Like, what could possibly go wrong? Um, there, wasn't, there wasn't just, like, a whole lot of forethought about, like, where's this river going? Or like, where are we going to stop? Or does it ever slow down to a point that we could get out comfortably? Or is this safe at all? That, like, those, aren't, those were not really the questions. We were like, we were looking for a good time going fast down a river, uh, which we did get for a few moments. And then, and then my inner tube started to, uh, to veer. Uh, the buddy I was with, his did fine. Went right down the middle. Um, he got to the place that we didn't know that we could go. Um, mine veered and kept veering. And all of a sudden, there was this like brush pile coming up on the side of the river. And, and I thought, what a fantastic opportunity to get myself back out to the middle of the river. There was a big log sticking out, um, which, I mean, I say that out loud now. It's like red flag. But to me, in, in the moment, it was an opportunity. <laughs> and so I was like, I'm going to just kick off of that log right back out to the middle. And, and we'll be good. We'll be good. I'll, I'll get to catch up with my friend. Uh, I put my foot on the log, and the momentum of the river uh, sucked me under. It sucked my, my inner tube under, and me under. And I, I got back out just, just fine. Um, found myself eventually like, kind of standing in the middle of the river, and realized that my inner tube was now popped uh, flat, completely un unhelpful to me at that point. Um, and all I could do, uh, I mean, the water was only up to like just, a, just about my, my knees. 
And I, I tried to, <laughs> it was shallow enough for me theoretically to be able to like walk back to shore. But the moment I tried to take a step, I was like still a little bit in shock. Like the, the river would just kind of like take me the, dire- the direction that I really did not want to, uh, want to go. And so what I did is I stood. I stood with all of my might until my youth pastor could eventually jump in, come to my side of the river, get me, and pull me back to shore and us have a conversation about decision-making before we get into big bodies, fast-moving bodies of water. I gained a whole new uh, uh, level of respect for water that day. I sure did. Uh, I also gained the nickname, and I'm telling you this because I trust you. Um, <clears throat> I feel comfortable with you at this point. Uh, I gained the nickname Big Soggy uh, on that on that day. I had much longer hair at that point, and there was just there was much sog. Uh, but that was a moment there where standing was no passive. Standing is what kind of like kept me alive, actually. And I had to stand against the force that was that was trying to take me down the river further. Standing is no passive thing. There is an onslaught, and we've got to learn how to stand our ground without having to throw a punch. Right? Paul's not asking us to fight; he's asking us to stand. Stand because the victory is already at hand. Nathan, I think I skipped over the slide from before um, that says both things can be true at once. Can we, can we run back to that? Both of these things can be true at once. God's victory in Christ is absolute. That is what we are here to celebrate this week, next week, every week. God's victory in Christ is absolute and the battle is ongoing. We are still called to engage. Not to fight desperately as if the battle is not won. No. I feel like we see a lot of that in society today where Christians are just like grasping at any last little bit of cultural power that they can get as if that is their God-given call. No. The victory is already won. You can stand. But also... Don't be bowled over by the, by the forces of the world. Stand. Both things can be true at once. Anytime you have a, a voice in your life, an input in your life that is asking you to grab, a, a, to, to stick to an either or mindset, um, be wary. We need more both things can be true at once kinds of Christians uh, in, in the world today. Uh, folks who can, who can hold in tension to seemingly difficult and competing ideas because that's where true wisdom actually, actually lies. It's the way that Paul talks about nearly every single like, theological point that he's trying to make. And, and one, thing that, one of the things that theologians have, have noted over time is that when, when Paul is talking about um, this like end game, like God is going to save the world. Uh, what uh, the word is eschatology? That Paul's view of the end times. Paul has this already but not yet view. 
It is absolutely true that God is working and active and victorious in the world, and yet we don't yet fully see it. We know it and we experience it in part, for sure, but it is not yet fully revealed. The victory is there, and now we're called to engage. Let's hold, let's learn to be those kinds of people that hold those things together. Okay, to the armor. Verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to, here we are again, stand your ground. And after you've done everything to fight, no, to stand, to stand. Just in case you missed it the first two times, I even forgot to highlight one of these. Stand your ground and then stand and then stand. Stand firm. I think the point is clear. We're supposed to stand. There we go. All right. Stand firm then. And now we get a few things, a few pieces of armor. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In each of these instances, when we're talking about the armor of God, it's associated with a virtue or with some characteristic that points us directly back to this reality that the victory of God is absolute and that there is a battle going on. The, the first thing is this, the belt of truth. The truth of who Jesus is is as firm a foundation as we possibly could have, and yet there is a call then to go believe in that truth. The truth is absolute. Go believe in it. That's what it is to put on the belt of truth. with the breastplate of righteousness in place. That thing which guards the, the vital organs is the righteousness of God. That thing that accomplishes our justification before God. That thing that makes us right before God. That's the righteousness that Jesus accomplished in this world. Believe that it is true and then go act righteously. You have been made righteous. Now go be righteous. That's what it is to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And with your feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. By the way, Paul is just is just taking on all kinds of language here from Isaiah. He, he, he's grabbing all kinds of Old Testament language to put this little passage together. Like, it, it would be a fun study to just, like, look at how the prophets inform the, uh, um, the armor here that he's talking about. This is, not, this is not some brand new, like, cool first century idea. This has been around for a long, long time. With your feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Uh, for uh, parents of little kids, uh, um, you'll understand the idea of getting ready and getting your shoes on. <laughs> the, the two go together, and yet they so don't go together because, because we are ready, and yet the shoes are not on. And the, that is the last final piece before we are actually ready 
to go. And notice the language that Paul uses with the gospel. It's, again, it's not combative language. It's, it's, this is the gospel of peace that we are to be sharing with others. Notice that he, he uses truth as something that we're supposed to be clothed in, and then peace as the thing that characterizes the gospel. It's the gospel of peace. The moment that we can share the gospel and somebody not be able to characterize it as peace, we've maybe missed it. Our peace with God, our peace with one another. That is the work that Christ is doing in us. That's the stuff we stand in. And he continues on, verse 16. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. Why? Because so you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Sounds scary. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The shield of faith, taking up the the concept of the faithfulness of Jesus and then our need to put faith in Jesus. That's the shield that ultimately keeps us safe. The shield is like the operative piece of armor that keeps a warrior, keeps a troop safe. It's, It's faith in what Paul's about to call the mystery that keeps this thing running. And yet, not just the feebleness, not just the fickleness of our little faith, but the once and for all faithfulness of Jesus that carries us along. That's all wrapped up in the one word there. Take the helmet of salvation, because when you are in a battle, salvation is the one thing that you are most looking for. Deliverance. This is the paradigm for how God works in the world. God delivers. God sees those who cannot do for themselves and does for them what they cannot do. This is what God does, always, from the very beginning. This is the fundamental paradigm of who he is and how he works in the world, and it is still true, and you got to protect your head with that knowledge, and then take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, the, the proclamation of who God is. And yet, even when we take up a sword, it is not an offensive weapon, it doesn't seem, because there's no like charge into battle with the sword of the Spirit. The, the whole idea governing this entire passage is just to stand your ground. You need the whole armor to do it well. But there's no like forward movement here. Stand your ground because the battle has already been won. And, and we, again, would take a na- we would naturally think of this as like putting, getting ready for a battle that we are going to fight. When in reality, like to put on your armor in ancient times, like in Paul's culture, but to the same extent today, when you put on a uniform, it's not just about who you are in that moment. It's about who you're a part of. It's, a, it's about the larger group. It is, a, it's about, it is an identity piece as much as it is anything else. We put on our armor and we do it together. 
This is not, there is no go it alone for Jesus in scripture. Paul points at every turn to the need to do together, to find that identity together. In a world that is ripe for uh, self-deception, for self-justification, for rationalizing, for fear, for despondency, it is truth, it is righteousness, it is faith, it is the word of God, it is the gospel of redemption, the gospel of peace. These form the story of Christ's work that should excite holy imagination to possibilities of service into the kingdom of God. These ought to be the animating forces in our life, not some defensive posture to try to make sure that we win the day. Truth, righteousness, peace. Uh, one commentator, uh, Lynn Koek, says it like this, uh, the armor is not a good luck charm that keeps sadness at bay or misfortune from entering a believer's life. The armor strengthens believers as they encounter the sorrow, pain, misfortune, and injustice that characterize the present evil age. By remembering what is true, by holding to what is just, by listening to the Savior's word of peace, believers together in the church can withstand the evil forces that, this, that seek to destroy all goodness and hope. That is what we are standing for. We're going to come back to this idea as when we conclude here. I want to just run through these last few verses so that we can really say that we got through all of Ephesians. Right? Verse 18. I think this is so, this little section right here, coming after Paul's plea to put on the armor in the midst of this real tangible battle, I think this section ought to be as instructive as the call to put on the armor. It's the attitude, not just the equipment. Listen to this. And pray in the spirit on all occasions and with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. <laughs> Included in that lot, uh, me. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Pa Paul doesn't give the whole armor of God spiel as a series of like trite old truisms. Oh, I got my belt of truth today. Like he, he does it as one who is imprisoned for the very stuff he's preaching. He does it from within the battle, like stuck in the battle himself, knowing the actual struggle, knowing the reality of the difficulty of standing firm. He doesn't do it from an ivory tower, offering little encouragement. He does it from the front lines himself. And he's, he, I love how, transparent, how transparent he is here. Pray 
that I could fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Why? Because some days I do it in fear. Some days I cower in fear. The mystery piece gets a little bit wearying for those who have devoted their lives to that cause. It's hard to to get up and say to people that the mystery of Jesus is true time and time again. It gets a little bit, it's scary. People are going to laugh you out of the room. Or worse, they're going to ignore you. They're not going to care. And Paul says, just pray that that I have the strength to not to go fight and win the battle, but that I have the the strength to go preach it tomorrow. For which I am an ambassador in chains. The very thing that got me into this imprisoned state, I want to have, I want to have the strength to keep doing it. Amazing. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly. He doubles down on fearless there, as I should. It's not about getting the armor on so that we look good or so we can go win battles and make a name for ourselves. It's, it's standing firm in the truth that is our only foundation. And in the final greetings here, I love this. Uh, Tychicus, the, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you... Um, you also may know how I am doing and what I am doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. I love thinking about the early church community that was just like, talk about a grassroots movement, like uh, just the, the, the very small but like vital community that had the truth of the gospel and were so earnest and so so desirous that others would would hear it and, and Paul speaks with such great affection for those who are on his team and he's like I'm sending my brother Tychicus to you you're gonna love this guy he's gonna encourage you he's gonna tell you how I'm doing I, just, I love that I love thinking about that peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. I, I love that if you notice this in, in Paul's letters, he always starts with uh, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This letter is going to be uh, an act of grace to you. It's going to be a, a, an experience of grace just reading this thing. And then he reminds us of that reality at the very end. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. What a great little line to get us ready for Easter week. The very last word of Ephesians is undying. Lest we, for a single moment, think that this is our project, our game, our achievement, our name, our anything. Paul sums up his entire uh, argument, encouragement, 
exhortation with this little line. We are doing this all in the love that will not ever die, not because of who we are, but because of the one in whom we put our faith. Jesus, the undying one, not the one who didn't experience death, but the one who is now undead. We're going to uh, sing together uh, as we wrap up today. So worship band, why don't you uh, come on up? Um, if there's something on your heart that you want um, prayer for, or want to pray about, we're going to have our, our prayer team up here to your left. Um, I'd encourage you at some point, uh, at some point this week, to sit down and maybe read Ephesians from beginning to end, and maybe try to do it in a single sitting. It's not a very long letter. It's longer than most letters at its time, but it's, it's not a very long letter. And just see what stands out. See what message it is from Christ uh, that has worked its way into you, your heart. Um, let's pray. Jesus, uh, help us to be those folks who who live in the tension of the now and the not yet, of, um, of what you have created in the world, what you are doing in the world, the victory that you have uh, won once and for all. Um, may we rejoice in that, and yet with sober minds um, and hearts, um, take seriously the call to stand firm. Uh, whether it is... <laughs> a fighting posture that we're more interested in or a lay down and um, let the winds of doctrine blow over us. Whether the posture is one um, of too active or too passive, Lord, may your call to us to stand. Um, may it anchor us in, uh, in who we are called to be, not just as individuals, but together. In Jesus' name.